today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. This is funny. <laughs> the odds? Yeah. This were toast with a capital T and a capital toast too. I mean, unless you intervene, there's no way. And I think it's, as we say, music to God's ears. Ah, that's what I needed to hear. Now, watch me. Because see, now only I will get the glory for it. In our arrogance, we sometimes think we can fix our own problems. Pastor J.D. wants you to know that this is the antithesis of what God desires for you. He wants you to lay down your pride and simply surrender to Him. Remember, He gives grace to the humble but rejects the proud. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. But for now, here's Pastor J.D. in Isaiah chapter 1 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. James says that pure, undefiled religion, better understood in our day as pure, undefiled, unadulterated worship. You want to worship God? You want to please God? Take care of the widow and the fatherless. That's pure, undefiled worship and religion. God takes seriously the widow, the fatherless. You know that, when I was a young believer, I just thought of this. It's, um, it's kind of interesting, but you know when people would say, well, God helps those who help themselves. You ever heard that? You know, when I was a, a young believer, actually, I'll never forget this conversation. It was, like, it was just yesterday. And I was talking to my cousin, and he quoted that. And I'm just like, like a new believer. I mean, I'm talking babe in Christ, infant. I'm like weeks old. I'm a spiritual infant. And I was still in the process of reading through the Bible in its entirety from Genesis to Revelation for the first time. The year was 1986, by the way. Don't do the math. I was five years old in 1986. I was a new believer. And I hadn't got through the whole Bible yet. And he said, well, you know, God helps those who help themselves. I'm like, oh, wow. Because it sounds like it was in the Bible. And it turns out it's not in the Bible. Oh, it's next to that other verse that people think is in the Bible. Cleanliness is next to godliness. It's in the book of First Hezekiah. The problem is there's no such thing as the book of First Hezekiah. It's not in the Bible. This notion of God helps those who help themselves, it's the opposite that's true. God helps those who can help themselves. He's the God of the helpless and the hopeless throughout Scripture. In fact, I think First Chronicles 20, Jehoshaphat, King Jehoshaphat, another good king, by the way. Messed up, but still a good king, one of the nine. There comes this army, great horde. I mean, it's, it's game over, they know it. I mean, here they are, this, this small army of Israelites, and this great horde is coming against them. And Jehoshaphat is like, we're going to pray, we're going to fast. All of the 
Israelites, their families, their children with them. I love that detail, by the way. Sometimes our children need to be involved in the worship of the Lord. They need to see us as their parents modeling worship of the Lord, and prayer, and worship, and fasting, and seeking the Lord. They need to see that model. So all of the families gather together, and Jehoshaphat cries out to God, and he says this. He says, God, (laughs) we are helpless. There's no hope against this great horde. We don't know what we're going to do. But our eyes are on you. The heavenly hush. Shh, quiet. Did you just hear what Jehoshaphat prayed? He said he's helpless. He says they don't know what to do. He said their eyes are on me. Go! And then he says to Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, (laughs) you're not going to have to fight this battle. The battle belongs to the Lord. That's not to say that all battles don't have to be fought. There are battles that have to be fought, but not this one. I'll take care of this one for you. Did you say you were helpless? Yeah, I don't know what we're going to do. Okay, I got this then. He said, I just want you to stand and watch me now. And he delivers this great horde into the hands of the Israelites, miraculously, even effortlessly, all because Jehoshaphat said, we're helpless. We don't know what to do. Our eyes are on you. I say that to share this. I'm learning this in my own walk with the Lord. I think the Lord waits for us to come to that place where we throw up our hands and we say, Lord, (laughs) this is funny. (laughs) The odds? Yeah. This, we're toast with a capital T and a capital toast too. I mean, unless you intervene, there's no way. And I think it's, as we say, music to God's ears. Ah, that's what I needed to hear. Now, watch me. Because see, now only I will get the glory for it. Even if you wanted to try, I mean, it would be, it would just be a joke. Oh, I think about Gideon and his army, 300 men against the army of the Midianites. One detail in the narrative says that there were too many to be numbered. Another part suggests that just in the close proximity of the army of the Israelites, there was about 135,000. You know how it went down, right? So Gideon starts off with 32,000 men, and then God says, you, you got too many men? To which Gideon's like, I, I, no, they have too many men. We, they, they have, we only have, he says, no, you got too many men. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to, I would have loved to have been a fly on the camel there to see the expression on Gideon's face when God says, I want you to go to these 32,000 men and say, if any of you are afraid, you can go home. If I'm Gideon, here's how I'm doing it. If any of you are afraid, you can go home. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Because you don't want them to go home because you know they're afraid and you know a lot of them are going to go home. 
Uh, sure enough, 22,000 left. And then Gideon's like, what's up with this? And then, now he's got 10,000 men. And then God says, Gideon, you still have too many men. Really? Yes, really. So I want you to take them down to the springs. Those of you that have been to Israel with us have been to these springs. It's a, an amazing sight. And he says, I want you to separate the 10,000 men that remain, and I want you to put the ones over here that just stick their face in the water and just, you know, drink it because they're thirsty. They're already thirsty. And then I want you to put them over here, and then I want you to put the ones that cup the water and bring it to their mouth, and I want you to put them over here. Now you got to wonder what's going through Gideon's mind. How many men are going to stick their face in the water? 9,700. Picture the scene, and if you're there, you see it's a vast area. I could picture 9,700 guys there's enough land mass there. They're all over there, and I'm looking, and I'm, I'm just watching Gideon. There's 300 men over there that cup the water. Now you probably heard that taught like this. Well, these were the top guns, man. The Green Berets keeping their eyes on the battlefield, and you know, whereas the other ones that stuck their face in the water. I mean, you know, they're not battle worthy. They're not keeping their eye on the battlefield. I don't believe that because it doesn't fit. Remember now when God calls Gideon, you know where he's at? He's in the wine press threshing grain. You know why? Because he's afraid of the Midianites, because they would steal the grain from the Israelites. So he's hiding out in total fear, and then God comes to him, oh mighty warrior, here's Gideon. Where? (laughs) Right? (laughs) Me? Yeah, you. Now, God, listen, I'm the black sheep of my family. My family is the black sheep of our tribe, and our tribe is the black sheep of all of the 12 tribes of Israel. Three strikes, I'm out, you got the wrong guy, you pulled the wrong file. God says, no, that's exactly I'm going to use you. Watch me now. So then, you know the whole fleece thing? You know, this was an act of faith. You know, God, I need confirmation. Totally not faith. He was trying to get out of it. You know how it went down, right? He puts the fleece out. Okay, God, if this is really, really you, let the dew be on the you know ground and not on the fleece. And God's like, okay, all right, dew, no, no fleece. <laughs> Next morning he wakes up. Okay, God, if it's really, 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 really you, this time have the dew be on the fleece and not on the ground. And God's like, okay, whatever. Next, so you know, dew on the fleece, not on the ground. Now he's he's stuck. She says, okay, now I'm going to deliver the Midianites into your hands. And he's got 300 men. Do you know why the 300 men cupped the water and brought it to their mouth and didn't just stick their whole face in there and get into the water and drink to their heart's content? They couldn't. Why? They were the lame, the elderly, the crippled, the infirmed. They couldn't. Man, if I stick my face in that water, I'm, I ain't getting back up. <laughs> that ship has sailed a long time ago. Doesn't that fit? Because even if 300 
top guns, they still could have conceivably taken the credit for the defeat of the Medeanites. You should have seen us, man, the strategy. Could you imagine 300? I'm sorry, I mean no disrespect. They're coming back to the camp of the Israelites on their walker. You should have seen us, our canes, you know. <laughs> we did. Wait, you, you guys? <laughs> no, you didn't. Look at you. Only God gets the glory. Even if you tried, you could not take the credit for it. God does it in such a fashion that only He gets the glory. Okay, where were we? We were in Isaiah chapter 1 at some point here. So verse 14, oh yeah, he's saying, just stop already. Blood on your hands. And yet you lift those same hands to worship me. Verse 18, and here it comes. Come now, and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. So if we're in this courtroom setting, it's like God saying, hey, let's, let's settle this. Let's settle this. God is extending an invitation and an offer to just be reasonable. Let's reason together. Let's settle this out of court, if you will. Here's an offer. Here's an offer. The trial's not looking good for you. I just laid out my case. It's not looking good for you. You want to settle? Yeah. You You want to make the defense an offer? Yeah. What's the offer? I mean, listen, at this point, whatever the offer is, I'll take it. Because if I don't, Uh, (laughs) I'm dead. I'm dead. I'm guilty. It's the death penalty. So what's the offer? Okay, verse 19. If, that's a big if, as we say, if you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. You know what this is? This is God giving us our free will to either choose or refuse. He will never force Himself on any man. Even the Holy Spirit will not continue to strive with man forever. God is in effect pleading with them, be reasonable. Let's reason together. You've seen the charges I've laid out against you, the indictment. You are guilty as charged. Be reasonable. Be reasonable. Verse 21, how the faithful city has become a harlot. It was full of justice, righteousness lodged in it, but now murderers. Your silver, verse 22, has become dross. Your wine mixed with water. Your princes are rebellious and companions of thieves. Everyone loves bribes. 
and follows after rewards. They do not defend the fatherless, nor does the cause of the widow come before them. There it is again. What's he saying? (laughs) He's saying, you've committed spiritual adultery. You've played the harlot, you've sold out and committed spiritual harlotry and adultery. And again, we have this reference from James, who says that friendship with the world means that you're at enmity with God. And then (laughs) James says, you adulterers, you adulteresses. Now, before we go on and finish the chapter, I think it would be good for us to consider this for just a moment. You know, we're always prone when it comes to passages like this to smugly, even piously fancy ourselves as, ha, I would never do that. Oh really? You know when you read throughout the Old Testament you see the rebellion of Israel against God throughout their history, you're like, man those Israelites. When you go to the Exodus, Here God does miracle after miracle after miracle. I mean, you would think after the whole Red Sea miracle, they would never complain. I mean, it was hours after the Red Sea was parted. They're already complaining again. Aren't there enough, weren't there enough graves in Egypt? You had to bring us out here to kill us. And here's how we look at that. We're like, man, those Israelites, what's the matter with them? Them? What about you? What about me? I think we would do well to consider this every time, because we are just as prone to commit spiritual harlotry and adultery when we become too friendly with the world and love the world and the things in the world. Verse 24, therefore the Lord says, the Lord of hosts, the mighty one of Israel, Ah, I will rid myself of my adversaries and take vengeance on my enemies. I will turn my hand against you and thoroughly purge away your dross and take all away all your alloy. I will restore your judges as at the first and your counselors as at the beginning. Afterward you shall be called the city of righteousness the faithful city. What? Wow, you were really mad at us and judging us, and now what are you saying? Oh, I, I'm going to judge you all right, but judgment begins in the house of the Lord. I'm going to do some house cleaning here. And I'm going to start with the judges. I'm going to purge away the dross, purify my people make righteous again my city. Verse 27, Zion shall be redeemed with justice, and her penitence with righteousness. The destruction, verse 28, of transgressors and of sinners shall be together, and those who forsake the Lord shall be consumed, for they shall be, now this is a key word, hang on to this, ashamed ashamed of the 
terebinth trees which you have desired. These are the trees that they would have these oh, just horrific sexual immorality took place around these trees. And you shall be, here's another word to hang on to along with ashamed, embarrassed because of the gardens which you have chosen, for you shall be as a terebinth whose leaf fades, and as a garden that has no water, barren, dry. The strong, verse 31, shall be as tinder, and the work of it as a spark. Both will burn together, and no one shall quench them. I hate to end the chapter in the Bible study on such a note, but there might be some redemptive lesson here for us to take home with us. I think the lesson is that godly sorrow and sanctified shaming is a good thing. Paul to the Corinthians says it's the godly sorrow that leads to repentance. You know, I think in our day and age, we just don't get embarrassed anymore. There's no shame anymore. I think our tolerance levels for that which is shameful is so high now. The bar has been raised, if I can say it like that. I think there comes a time in our Christian lives where we need a good dose of sanctified shaming. We need that godly sorrow. Can I say it like this? A godly embarrassment, where the shame of the nakedness of your debauchery and rebellion and sin and sexual immorality is so embarrassing, so shameful. And the reason why that's a good thing is because that's what is needed to bring a person to a genuine repentance. You know, there are two kinds of sorrow. There's the sorrow of being caught, like every time you get pulled over in traffic. I'm so sorry, officer. I I see Paula over here. I haven't had a speeding ticket in 35 years. Right, Paula? Yeah. So uh, anyway, but you get pulled over. I'm talking about you, not me, because I'm such an upstanding citizen of the community and such a godly man. But uh, you get pulled over by the police, right? What's the first thing out of your mouth? I'm so sorry, officer. Do you know how fast you're going? No, I'm so sorry. You're not sorry. You're sorry you got pulled over. If you were really sorry, you wouldn't drive so fast. You would repent. You would change your driving habits. That's true sorrow. (laughs) I'm I'm so sorry that I'm going to actually do something about this. That's called repentance. That's a godly sorrow. That's a genuine sorrow. It leads to a genuine repentance. It's like when your kids are little, oh, they're so sorry. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. No, you're not. You're sorry I caught you. That's why you're sorry. Now comes spanking time. You're not sorry at all. If you were sorry, you wouldn't have done it, because sorrow, godly sorrow, true sorrow leads to genuine repentance. That's what God's saying here. You need a good dose of godly sorrow. That's the only thing that's going to lead to a genuine repentance. Sometimes we need to embrace that sanctified shame 
And we have to realize just the shame of our sin, not condemnation, because that distances us from God, but conviction. That's what brings us to God for the forgiveness in our repentance. We're so glad you joined us for this edition of In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. If you think that the gospel is only in our first four books of the New Testament, you'll quickly learn through this book of Isaiah that the gospel is mentioned throughout. It must have been interesting for Isaiah to write the things he did in the course of his life. He was a prophet used by God who lived while several kings of Judah reigned. From their outright wicked behavior to a king like Hezekiah, Isaiah experienced the people living in rebellion and then turning toward God, realizing their need for him. God used Isaiah in a mighty way to influence these kings and to speak to them about what was yet to come. God can use you in the place you're at today as well. It may not seem as influential or powerful of a position, but God has you right where he wants you, to use you in the place you are. Are you involved in a local church? If not, we invite you to join us at Calvary Chapel Kaneohe. We meet on Sundays at 8.30 or 10.45 a.m. and Thursdays at 7 p.m. for Bible study with Pastor J.D. You can get directions at our website, calvarychapelkaneohe.com. While you're there, be sure to check out Pastor J.D.'s additional teachings as well as his Mideast Prophecy Updates, an accurate look at what the Bible has to say about this time in our world. That's all we have for today, but thanks for tuning in to spend this time with us. We hope you'll join Pastor J.D. for our next edition as we learn more valuable things from this interesting book of Isaiah right here on In Spirit and Truth. 